Welcome to Psalm 76. We have 12 verses here. For the choir director on stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. This is a song of praise to the God of Jacob. Asaph describes how God made himself known through the execution of judgment. He is the divine warrior who resides in Zion. Verses 1 through 3. God is known in Judah. His name is great in Israel. His tabernacle is Salem. His dwelling place also is in Zion. There he broke the flaming arrows, the shield and the sword and the weapons of war, Selah. People knew God was in Judah and Israel. Salem is another name for Jerusalem, as is Zion. God was known because of his defeat of Israel's enemies. He destroyed the weapons of those that desired to hurt Israel. Our God is strong and righteous. Verses 4 through 6. You are resplendent, more majestic than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered, they sank into sleep, and none of the warriors could use his hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse were cast into a dead sleep. Asaph, Asaph praised the Lord as bright and majestic. Mountains of prey may mean the fortresses of the enemy, but he is far above them. Strong enemies were plundered as they were destroyed at the Lord's rebuke. God's power is real, whereas the power of the nations is imaginary and fleeting. Verses 7 through 10. You, even you, are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven, and earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to save all the humble of the earth, Selah. For the wrath of man shall praise you. With a remnant of wrath, you will gird yourself. God is to be feared as holy and angry against sin. When he is angry, no one can stand and no one can hide. He is all-powerful and completely just in his anger against sin. God rises to judge the wicked and save the humble. Even the wrath against man brings praise to God. Even humanity's rebellion will someday bring him glory as it will fulfill his master plan. Some translations say, your wrath against man, which is a possible translation as well. When man is judged by God, God is being just, good, holy, and righteous. The natural reaction for those that love him is to bring him praise for his faithfulness and righteousness. Verses 11 and 12. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all who are around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. He will cut off the spirit of princes. He is feared by the kings of the earth. When we make promises to the Lord, we need to keep them. This is probably speaking specifically to Israel, but we should keep our promises as well. We are called to give God what is due to him. We are called to bring him our allegiance. He is our God. God will judge even the rulers of the world. No socioeconomic class will escape his wrath. Position will not bring lighter judgment. Why is this important? How do we escape this seemingly inevitable wrath? The only way to avoid this wrath and its consequences is through Jesus. The only reason we can avoid it is because he took on the wrath of God in our place. He took our punishment so we could be named free and righteous. Psalm 77, 20 verses, 
for the choir director, according to Jedathan, a psalm of Asaph. This psalm is one of Asaph's. The psalmist cries to God with a troubled spirit. He desires an answer. He finds comfort in God's deliverance at the Exodus, and it moves from lamentation to reflection to joy. Verses 1 through 3. My voice rises to God, and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. In the night my hand was stretched out without weariness, my soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. Selah. Asaph cries out to God, and he knows he is heard. That is awesome. The God of the universe hears our calls. He is never too busy to hear his children's cries. In this hard time and in tiredness, he moved along looking for God. No matter how hard he tried, he was not comforted. He continued to feel more tired and more disturbed. Verses 4 through 6. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. He could not sleep and could not speak. So he began to think about Israel's past, and he meditated on that. Verses 7 through 9. Will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Selah. He was confused with Israel's current state of humiliation. The nation was in distress, and God had not answered their prayers. This troubled the psalmist's soul and caused him to question God. Asaph began to think that perhaps he was abandoned by the Lord, that Israel was cast off and that he would not look their way again. He would cut off his love and his promises would end. His anger had overtaken his kindness. Verses 10 to 15. Then I said, It is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The psalmist declares to stop, decides to stop focusing on the problem and instead focus on God's past goodness to Israel. The psalmist began to remember the Lord's works of the past, of his miracles. He began to meditate or think of all that he had already done for Israel and for himself. There he found comfort. He remembered God is holy and the only God there is. He works miracles and shows his strength to all people. He had brought the people of Israel, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, from slavery. This is very important. When we focus on the storm of our circumstances, we tend to forget that God loves us. But if we keep our eyes on the cross, we will remember that he loves us and always has. When we are distressed, we need a change of perspective. 
We can look to God's work in the past, which shows us that He is faithful, or we can look to His work in the future, which reminds us that eternity is on the way. Verses 16 through 20. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, and your paths in the mighty waters, and your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This portion seems to be a poetic rendition of the parting of the Red Sea. The waters moved and obeyed the word of the Lord. Clouds, arrows, or lightning, thunder, whirlwinds, and earthquakes all revealed His great power. This is an impressive display given by our great and powerful God. With this power at His disposal, why should we fear? The sea was parted, and God made them a path to walk on. He used Moses and Aaron to lead them through the Red Sea. They were like a flock, led by their shepherd. Asaph took comfort in this and knew God would rescue in his time. Psalm 78 72 verses A Maskil of Asaph This psalm continues the tradition of passing on the record of God's wonderful acts to the next generation. Asaph calls on the people to follow the law and not rebel against God. History and the psalm show the action of their ancestors, how they forgot God's works and rebelled, and it shows how God graciously rescued them. This is the twelfth masculine psalm, as well as the first and longest historical psalm. Verses 1-8 through Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. For He has established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The psalmist calls on the people to listen to him. He was going to speak of God's strength and works. These had been handed down by previous generations, as was commanded by God, and this chain was to continue so that the next generation would trust in God, obey Him, and not forget His works. God desired loyalty and faithfulness from His people. It was taught so that the next generation would not be like their fathers, the previous generations that were stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, and unprepared. Verses 9-11 the sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. They fought, they forgot, His deeds and His miracles that He had shown them. It's difficult to know what event Asaph is referring to here. Some believe it was a literal battle that Ephraim fled from. 
Others believe this is more figurative, saying that they should have fought for the Lord with the strength they had. We know the tribe of Ephraim apparently chickened out and retreated despite their skill in archery. They refused to keep God's law and forgot the acts and miracles God had shown them. Verses 12 through 20. He wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the water stand up like a heap. Then he led them with the cloud by day, and all the night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them abundant drink like the ocean depths. He brought forth streams also from the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Yet they still continued to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart they put God to the test by asking food according to their desire. Then they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that waters gushed out, and streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? The psalmist begins recounting the exodus and the wilderness miracles and rebellions. God freed them from Egypt through the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. He led them through the desert by day and night, and he gave them water to drink from rocks. He gave them literal, visible miracles every day of their journey. Despite all of this, Israel rebelled against God and tested his patience. They wanted better food and spoke against God because of it. Verses 21 to 33. Therefore the Lord heard and was full of wrath, and a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also mounted against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat, and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the west wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he directed the south wind, when he rained meat upon them like the dust, even winged fowl like the sand of the seas. Then he let them fall in the midst of their camp round about their dwellings. So they ate and were well filled, and their desire he gave to them. Before they had satisfied their desire, while their food was in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and killed some of their stoutest ones and subdued the choicest men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. So he brought their days to an end in futility and their years in sudden terror. He gave them manna to eat. This was food that appeared daily for the Israelites to simply pick up and eat. It is called here the bread of angels. He also brought meat for them to eat. And with that meat came more judgment on those that had complained for meat. We see this in Numbers 11.33. The Lord heard the complaining and was full of wrath and anger against Israel. Despite all that God had done, Israel still did not trust him. So he sent down fire to punish Israel at Tibera. We see this in Numbers 11, 1 through 3. Despite all the judgment, they still sinned against God and did not believe the miracles that they had seen with their own eyes. There was no permanent change in them, no life change to the truth. So these people were brought to an end in the wilderness. 
Now, why is this important? Notice these people simply did not want to believe or trust in God. God gave them everything they needed to believe in Him. Miracles, wonders, guidance, and provision. But it was not enough for them to love Him. Then God brought His wrath and His punishment. But even this was not enough to cause them to fear Him. They simply wanted to live for their desires, and they wanted God to be their servant. God, being God, would not have that. He is to be praised, and we are His creatures. We're to honor Him and serve Him, not the other way around. This generation of Israel failed. I hope and pray our generation does not do the same. Verses 34 to 39. When he killed them, then they sought him, and returned and searched diligently for God. And they remembered that God was their rock, and the Most High God their Redeemer. But they deceived him with their mouth, and lied to him with their tongue. For their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And often he restrained his anger and did not arouse all his wrath. Thus he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. After God judged a generation of Israel in the desert, Israel followed God for a time. They would call out to their rock, their God, and their Redeemer. Yet there was deception and lies in their words. They had not changed. They were still the same. What can we learn from this? It's very important to note here that the people attempted to deceive and lie, but God was not fooled. He knew their hearts were not towards Him. It seems they simply wanted to end the punishment and to continue enjoying the benefits of God without being faithful to Him basically to use God for their means. Unfortunately, this is not unique to Israel. All humanity falls under the guise of placing ourselves as gods and trying to get all our desires. We need to repent from the heart for this rebellion. Yet God is amazing and still showed His faithful love to them. He still forgave them and did not destroy them, even though He had every right and every reason to. He was slow to anger and slow to wrath. He continually remembered that they would one day die because humanity's life is fleeting and quick. Verses 40 to 55. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Again and again they tempted God and pained the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the adversary, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the field of Zoan, and turned their rivers to blood, and their streams they could not drink. He sent them, he sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them, and frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their crops to the grasshopper, and the product of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hailstones, and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave over their cattle also to hailstones, and their herds to bolts of lightning. He sent upon them his burning anger, fury, and indignation, and trouble, a band of destroying angels. He leveled a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but gave over their life to the plague, and smote all the firstborn of Egypt. The first issue of their virility in the tents of Ham. But 
He led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely so that they did not fear. But the sea engulfed their enemies. So he brought them to his holy land, to this hill country, which his right hand had gained. He also drove out the nations before them and apportioned them for an inheritance by measurement and because and made the tribes of Israel dwell in their tents. Israel tempted God to destroy them over and over again. They had forgotten the power of God. God had showed them in freeing them from Egypt his power. Asaph reviews the plays of Egypt. God poured out his anger on Egypt. He sent angels to prepare the way for his wrath. Yet he gently led his people out of Egypt like a shepherd with sheep. He protected them and guided them in the wilderness. He kept them safe and secure. He took them to the promised land and drove out the enemies from them. He gave them a home to call their own. Israel and all its tribes were given land. Verses 56 to 64. Yet they tempted and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted treacherously like their fathers. They turned aside like a treacherous bow, for they provoked him with their high places and aroused his jealousy with their graven images. When God heard, he was filled with wrath and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he abandoned the dwelling place at Shiloh, the tent which he had pitched among men, and gave up his strength to captivity and his glory into the hand of the adversary. He also delivered his people to the sword and was filled with wrath at his inheritance. Fire devoured his young men, and his virgins had no wedding songs. His priests fell by the sword, and his widows would not weep. Despite the new lands, Israel rebelled against God with false idols and sanctuaries built to those false gods, called high places. They aroused God's jealousy, anger, and wrath. He abandoned the ark in Shiloh and allowed it to be captured, 1 Samuel 4, 4 4-11. He allowed his people to be taken over and killed. Young men and priests were killed. They lost the battle to win the ark back. Young women had no songs of marriage, and the widows had no chance to weep. Verses 65 to 72. Then the Lord awoke, as if from sleep, like a warrior overcome by wine. He drove his adversaries backward. He put on them an everlasting reproach. He also rejected the tent of Joseph, and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he founded forever. He also chose David his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs. He brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them with his skillful hands. Despite their rebellion, The Lord came to rescue Israel once again. He awoke, figuratively speaking, God doesn't sleep, and drove away the enemies and chose a leader from Judah. David was this chosen leader, who God took from being a shepherd of sheep to being the shepherd of a nation. He was a shepherd with a pure heart. This is a beautiful psalm on the history of Israel. Can you look back and see God's hands working throughout the Bible history? Does this give you hope and trust in God? Does this give you an image of a faithful Messiah? It should. 
Psalm 79, 13 verses, a psalm of Asaph. This psalm pleads with the Lord to forget the sins of the people. He pleads with God to deliver them. Jerusalem had been destroyed, the people killed, and their enemies were bragging. Some people believe this psalm came after the destruction by the Babylonians. This psalm is possibly from the Asaph in David's time. If this is so, then it is a prophetic psalm. I believe it is better to view this psalm as one that took on the pen name Asaph, or perhaps one of, was one of his descendants looking back to the destruction. Verses 1-4 through four. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the dead bodies of your servants for food to the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your godly ones to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water round about Jerusalem. And there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and derision to those around us. The enemies had invaded Israel. They entered the temple, defiled it, and took everything of value from inside. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and the people of Jerusalem did not fare any better. Corpses were all over the city. An unburied body was considered a great disgrace in that time. So, these bodies became food for birds and beasts. They were an object of ridicule and laughter to all the surrounding nations. Verses 5 to 9. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you, and upon the kingdoms which do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and forgive your sins, forgive our sins for your name's sake. Jerusalem was laid to waste. It was desolate. He pleads with the Lord to remember his people and help them in their need. He asks if he would remain angry and jealous forever. The psalmist felt as if he and his people had been abandoned by God. He pleads with God to forget their sins and to bring his compassion on them once again. He petitions God to bring judgment on the nations that caused the situation to happen who did not fear God. He pleads for help, deliverance, and forgiveness so that God would be further glorified. Now, how does this apply to us? Sometimes we feel like God is angry at us, like we're alone in the world. Well, let me share something important for all Christians to know. If you feel alone, God has not moved. Maybe we have, but we can always turn from our current state back to Him at any time. Verses 10 through 12. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight vengeance for the blood of your servants which has been shed. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those who are doomed to die. And return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom the reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. The psalmist argues that other nations believed that Israel's God had abandoned them. The psalmist pleads with God 
to preserve his people who were prisoners, to pay their enemies back seven times. Seven is a number that signifies perfection to the psalmist. The psalmist basically wanted a perfect destruction of the enemy, so that the insults and the mockery would end against the true God. Notice that when he wants this to happen, in our sight, he wanted to be a witness to the act of deliverance and punishment. Verses 13. So, we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. To all generations, we will tell of your praise. Even in this situation, there was hope. They promised praise and worship. They knew they were his sheep. In other words, they were under his care. Their thanksgiving would resound for eternity, and while on the earth, they would give praise to God by telling the next generation of his greatness. If you have kids or grandkids or any children in your life at all, have you told them of the greatness of God? Psalm 80, 19 verses. For the choir director, set to El Shoshanim Eduth, a psalm of Asaph. Asaph prays to the Lord for the restoration of Israel. He also mourns the devastation brought on by the enemy. Shoshanim probably means lilies, and edith probably means testimony. So it's set to the lilies of the testimony, or the testimony of the lilies. These are probably referring to a type of song in that time. Verses 1 and 2. Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your power and come to save us. The psalmist calls on God as the shepherd of Israel, the one who cared for Israel and all its tribes like sheep. He pictures the Lord as sitting on his throne as king of kings above the cherubim, angels of great power, probably referring to the Ark of the Covenant since there were cherubim carved on top of it near the mercy seat. Benjamin is probably representing the southern kingdom, and Ephraim and Manasseh are probably representing the northern kingdom. Note that Benjamin and Joseph are the children born to Rachel. He asks God to use his strength and save them. Verse 3. O God, restore us, and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Restoration is the main plea. He wanted God to have grace on the people of Israel and bring them back to a place where they were no longer being judged. The concept of God's face shining upon them is the idea of showing favor on a person. The face is beaming with approval towards the other person. Verses 4 through 7. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and you have made them to drink tears in large measure. You make us an object of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. O God of hosts, restore us, and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. He continues to lament the wrath and anger of God against Israel and asks how long it would last. He felt like they were given tears to eat and drink as a people. They had become an object of ridicule and laughter to all their enemies. So again, he makes the same plea as in verse 3, for God to show favor. Verses 8 through 11. You removed the vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. 
The mountains were covered with its shadow, and the cedars of God with its boughs. It was sending out its branches to the sea, and its shoot to the river. God had removed the vine from Egypt, Israel, and drove out the people of Canaan in order to plant the vine there. There Israel flourished and filled the land from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River. They occupied the whole land. Verses 12 through 15. Why have you broken down its hedges, so that all who pass that way pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats it away, and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. O God of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you. Look down from heaven and see, and take care of this vine. Even the shoot which your right hand has planted, and on the sun, whom you have strengthened for yourself. As punishment, God had broken down the vine's protective hedges so that animals or enemies could come and take its fruit. He asks for God to once again look down and protect Israel from the enemies that surrounded it. He reminds God that he planted Israel and they were the sun. The word sun can also be translated into branch. That he once glorified himself in. Verses 16 and 17. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man, whom you made strong for yourself. The Israelites were perishing under God's punishment. The vine was being burned and cut down. He asked for restoration of Israel, his right-hand man, so to speak, for his own glory. Verses 18 and 19. Then we shall not turn back from you, Revive us, and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. If they would be restored, they would be faithful to God. He called on God to revive them as a nation so that they could praise his name. It ends with the refrain from verses 3 and 7, asking for favor and restoration. Verses 